welcome to the Strong Men Podcast. So many of us men have got it wrong. In our attempts to be strong, we end up fragile, fake and weak. Our current understanding of what it means to be a strong man is warped. This misunderstanding almost led to my suicide and it continues to contribute towards the high suicide rate seen in men. That's why the Strong Men Podcast is on a mission. A mission to redefine the strong man to help men grasp true strength and work towards it. Not just to keep them on the planet a little longer, but to help them thrive. Hello everybody and welcome back to the Strong Men Podcast with me, Chris Stone. You are very welcome here and I am delighted to have you. We've got a belter of an episode this week. We're going to be chatting with Jean Etier, who is French. I don't know why I don't know why I started with that part. Um he's yes, he is French, but that's not why I've got him on the podcast. He is a chronic pain therapist and honestly, this conversation is fascinating. It really is and I can't wait to share it with you all in a moment. When I was in uni, physiology and anatomy modules were my absolute favorite. I've always had a real interest in the human body, especially in light of physical training and how it adapts and changes and that sort of stuff. Also, one of my biggest gripes with the fitness industry, in fact, not just with the fitness industry, but with lots of different industries, is the fact that we tend to treat physical health and mental health as two separate entities, when in fact, they are connected. There's no doubt. That's why, as a well-being PT, my tagline is connecting mind and body. I'm looking to to address this disconnect that is very prevalent in our society. This whole interview feeds right into this idea, this idea of the mind and body being connected. Jean, as a chronic pain therapist, works with people who have chronic pain, and often the way to resolve or improve their symptoms is to work on the mind, which is fascinating. So we're going to hear a little bit more about that and how it all works in a moment, as well as hearing a little bit about his own story and his own battle with chronic pain and how he overcame it. Just a quick correction that we'd like to make prior to playing the interview. Later on, you'll hear reference to a whiplash study, which we believed was done in Latvia. However, having gone back and looked at the study, we've got that wrong. It was a study that was done in Lithuania rather than Latvia. Evidently, not a huge issue, but something that we wanted to clarify nonetheless. Anyway, that's enough for me for now. Let's get into the conversation with the chronic pain therapist. So today we have John Etty joining us on the Strong Men podcast. A very warm welcome to you, John. How are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to have you on the podcast. Um, I first met you at a local networking event in Edinburgh called Connected. And immediately I was fascinated by the work that you do, which we'll get into later. Uh, But firstly, I thought I would give you an opportunity just to introduce yourself, tell all the listeners a little bit about you, where you're from, and a brief overview of what you do. Okay, so uh, my name is Jean Etier. As you can tell, I am French, so that's where I'm from. <laughs> um, and I moved to the UK in 2001, but um, then moved to Edinburgh in 2018. I um, What I do is I work with people who have chronic pain, 
in particular neuroplastic pain and i'm sure we can get into that uh, later on but it's just to be brief it's a pain that's not caused by a structural issue um and i help people free themselves from that pain and just have a joyful life which is pretty much what i'm really um passionate about is getting people to not get back to where they were before because where they were is what brought them pain and uh, but more towards where they want to be and to, to lead the life that they want to have so that's uh that's me Awesome. Well, like I say, thanks very much for joining us and giving up some time to uh, chat a little bit. Now, with these interviews, we are basically starting to, or the whole concept of these interviews is to interview other strong men, and we're we're considering what strength actually looks like. A lot of that comes down to, from my perspective anyway, being able to share a little bit of your own experience, your own story. So I was wondering if we could start there, if you could maybe tell us a little bit about your own story and how you've kind of ended up where you've ended up? Mm. Um, that's a really good question. How long have you got? <laughs> um, so I, I think in terms of my own story is I, I grew up in a family where I had a dad who was um, quite violent verbally and physically um, and therefore quite angry and that meant that as a child growing up in that family I was never sure when to say something or not to say something because my father would flip. I'm not telling you that so I feel sorry for me but it's just so that explains um, how I came into the kind of work that I'm doing now because growing up in that kind of environment I ended up uh, suffering of a lot of anxiety and I became very anxious and hypervigilant. I wanted to please everyone and be perfect, be strong, <laughs> um, so that people like me. But at the time, I did not realize that this was kind of a sort of protection mechanism for me that I put in place um, in order to receive what I should have been given, really, which is just love and acceptance from my father. And I then developed like panic attacks uh, in my early 20s. And I just thought it was just, you know, random <laughs> that things happen. And because I was still not listening, I think, <laughs> then my body brought on pain, chronic pain, which was um, in the form of back pain and sciatic pain. And because of the pain, which is really the gift of pain, I think, Probably not when you're suffering from it and you're like right in an intense experience of pain, but having it means that you're put in a corner and that when you have such a circumstance in your life that you can't change, the only thing that you can change is your relationship to that circumstance. And that taught me how to do that. And then I eventually freed myself from that pain and I am now using the tools um, that I have used for myself, but I also that I trained for to support people in that same way. And that can be, it doesn't have to be sciatic pain or back pain. It can be like any type of pain, as long as it's pain that's not structural. I'm just really interested. You mentioned when you were in that place where you were feeling 
uh, quite anxious and struggling with panic attacks and that sort of thing. You said you felt like you were being strong. What sort of behaviours or, or what was it you were thinking during that period? What was strength like for you back then? Being brave. I think it, I think strength for me as, as a man is to be brave enough to be vulnerable, brave enough to face all the emotional stuff that you don't want to look at or you don't want to face. Um, so I think it's, yeah, I would have to answer, um, being brave is, uh, the superpower to be developing, um, when you're facing chronic pain or any difficulty in your life. You know, if you had 10 different men in a room and you asked them all, what would being brave look like? I think you probably get quite a wide variety of answers. And certainly for me, my, for my when I was in a really dark place, for me being brave was actually hiding and, and being thinking that, you know, I'm going to be able to deal with this all myself. How perhaps do you think that we could shift the narrative to change it more from this idea of being brave is hiding away to, as you say, be, being brave is actually recognising there's, there's an issue here and taking steps to address it by being vulnerable. Mm. Yes, because I think like for a lot of people, like uh, and men in particular, like being brave is like being bulletproof. And it's just like, yeah, I'm the brave soldier or warrior uh, that's going to go to battle and I fear nothing. And, and for me, it's quite the opposite is acknowledging that I am scared. It's facing my fear of whatever situation I'm going through in my life. So, and it could be like facing the fear of my fear, <laughs> facing the fear of death, um, facing my fear of being vulnerable, facing my fear of being sad, feeling any type of emotion that I don't allow myself to feel. And I think that that takes a lot of courage to go there when you've gone up in an environment like so obviously there's your personal story but there's also i guess the cultural element of being a man because i think emotions are very gendered so as a, as a man culturally we get a lot of me different messages and of what um emotion is acceptable and which one isn't so in our families of course like on a personal level but culturally as well it's just like, you know, the, the usual, all uh, well-known men don't cry kind of thing. Or man up when you're feeling a difficult emotion. Like people saying things like this to you as a child means that you're not a man if you're feeling this. So therefore I shouldn't be feeling this. Like people like me don't feel this. And that's actually really, really unhelpful in terms of mental and physical health for men we're cutting ourselves off from vital information from our own ecosystem and it's actually going against us and the less you listen the more the body will talk so it starts to whisper at first and then it will scream and to the point where like in terms of chronic pain in, in my case but it can be it can be a burnout it can be depression it can be a general anxiety disorder can be any any sort of ways for your body to tell you to to stop and listen. Yeah, that link between mind and body has always fascinated me. And this is something that I'm very, very keen on 
when it comes to the fitness industry because often I feel like there's such this intense focus on the physical all the time and not so much focus on the mental and, and often it's like they're treated independently like if you're struggling with your mental health you go to a psychologist and if you're struggling with your physical health you might go to a, a physiotherapist or a PT or a coach they're not really connected so one of my that's why as the well-being PT my tagline is connecting mind and bodies because I feel like there's this disconnection so with that in mind I wanted to chat a little bit about that connection between the mind and body you talked about how our mental state can impact the physical and vice versa so could you tell us a little bit more about that in in a bit of detail yeah so you're absolutely right like I, I don't think you can separate the, the two, I mean, it's an ecosystem. The way I look at it is we have an internal system that works together. So like you have organs within your body. So if one organ isn't functioning properly, it will influence another organ because they communicate. So if your heart isn't no longer functioning properly, that affects the whole system. It's the same with the liver. It's the same with your stomach. It's the same with anything. Like it's going to have an impact on the rest of the system. Your mind and your body are the same. We might identify them as the brain for the mind and then the rest is the, is the body. And I would challenge that because in yoga, the tradition of yoga looks at the mind-body connection and the way that they define, so when they talk about the ego that we, we know about and there's many ways of defining what an ego is, but ego in yoga includes the mind and the body. You can't, you can't talk about ego or, you know, psychological kind of processes without taking the body into account. So that's the first thing. Also, there's a constant communication between the brain and the body. And the communication happens in two ways. So from the body up to the brain and from the brain to the body. And the way that happens is that when it's the body communicating with the brain, it's done through a mechanism called neuroception. So it's the way for the nervous system to assess, scan for threats in your environment, but also within your body. So in your environment, so that, that might be like, you know, um, someone's tone of voice, uh, facial expressions. It could be a fire, it could be an earthquake. It could be like the weather. But internally, it might be a virus, a bacterial infection. It might be something going, going on. So the, the nervous system is constantly sending data to your brain. But in return, the brain assesses that information and sends data back to the body. And that happens all the time. So we know this with your perception, but it works the same with vision. Your eyes don't create a picture. Your eyes are just receptors that send data through the optic nerve to the brain. The brain makes up the image. Our mind is there to use the senses in order to make up a picture of what's going on, making sense of your experience. But the mind can't do that without the body because the body has the senses. <laughs> One cannot work without the other. So separating them in that way makes like literally no sense and it is a relationship and we have agency over that we can change the relationship we have with our body 
and we can change the relationship the body has with the mind. But people can get better and find um, what's called a homeostasis, which is like balance within the system. Because your ecosystem is always looking for balance. And when it's sending symptoms and signals, it's to tell you that something is off balance and you need to be looking at it. And that's what emotions are for. <laughs> so if you're not listening to emotions, you're not getting the message. The message is important. It's not a negative message. It's a message to protect you and to bring balance into your life again. I've not really talked about this this kind of before uh, at all really on social media or anything like that but something that I struggle with on occasions is like health anxiety so if I begin to if you know if I notice if I'm listening to my body I know it's old that's something's a wee bit off sometimes I kind of go and like google symptoms and be like oh oh no I've got this or this or this and sometimes what happens and I think this really highlights perhaps what you're saying is that I start experiencing symptoms that aren't there like I'm in a, almost like psychosomatically I guess experiencing symptoms because I that anxiety is is creating those physical sensations mm, of course like belief like uh, I work a lot with belief um, because it's it's really important if you it's almost like <clears throat> your brain when uh, it believes something it can't help but try to find the evidence and if it doesn't find the evidence it will try to create <laughs> what it believes um, and so quite often that can happen and uh, I, I know this because it's happened to me like when I support people when you're quite empathetic with people and people have certain symptoms it can trigger the symptoms in you and you start having the pain that the patient has and simply because empathy is lighting up the area of the brain that's to do with pain. So we are able to put ourselves in the shoes of other people and, and, and then therefore feel some of the pain or what it might be like to feel that pain. So some people can, can create pain in their body when there's absolutely nothing wrong. But we also know this, you know, what you're describing, it's also a bit like phantom limb pain people have okay there was a reason for the pain to be there and then the arm was cut off let's say but the pain continues to be there because the brain and the nervous system still believe that there's reason to protect that area when actually that's it's a non-existent part of you so when you look around and you start and believing that you may have an illness you may develop the symptoms of that illness even though you don't have it it's just because you read it and the underlying fear is kicking off the danger signal in your nervous system and in your brain and then they can't help but try to protect you because if you truly believe that there are good reasons for you to be worried about something then it will do that because pain is a protection mechanism it's it's a danger signal that says you need to look at this, you need to stop. The pain is felt in the body, but it's created in the brain, but it's not a part that you do consciously. It's not like you can make it make up pain, you know? They don't choose to do that consciously at all. It's really like a way to protect yourself. And the way your nervous system will react and your brain really depends on you because everybody's a unique individual. It depends on your personal experience. So if we go back to my experience, clearly, like, there was an environment that was unsafe for me. 
and then therefore my nervous system has adapted to that environment and has continued to work in that way all the way through my life as an adult, even though there was no need for that uh, level of protection uh, or hypervigilance for my nervous system. But it's believed that it continued to do so, just like the phantom limb pain. Something happened traumatic to my body, and then my nervous system continues to believe that that area needs to be protected. So when that happens, then there's pain. But that doesn't mean that you need to continue to have pain. You can recondition the nervous system and the brain so that um, the, the, the pain um, goes away or reduces, uh, depending on people. Just staying on topic with your own story. So you talked about developing this chronic pain. How did you firstly recognise that this is perhaps more than just a physical thing? And then secondly, how did you begin to address that pain? Mm. Uh, that's a very good question because, and, and especially when you have uh, anxiety, we're talking about like health anxiety and, and all that. Because of the pain, I think I was like very much developing the health anxiety kind of element of it, looking for lots of answers and thinking that I have cancer or I have this, I have that. Like, you know, the, obviously you find the symptoms and you you look at the worst case scenario and you, probably, and you start believing that it's possible that you may have this. <laughs> so... The, the way I went about it is I went to see my GP first. When I work with people, usually they, they have done all of the things that I'm just going to talk about. And this is like I'm the last port of call kind of thing. because I, And I think for good reasons. I think it's always very important to go and see your GP because it could be a structural or physical issue. And if that's the case, it needs to be picked up. But... In the case of uh, chronic back pain, most of chronic back pain is not due to f structural issues, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't go and see your GP. So I think that's kind of like, that's the first thing that I did. I went to see the GP to see like what, what's going on, then got like uh, an appointment with a physiotherapist, like just, I think just to test like, you know, my nervous system and my reflexes and mobility in my back and that kind of stuff. All, all they did really is just kind of refer me then to a physiotherapist team and um, and then obviously like anti-pain medication, which I didn't take because I just thought I need to be in real pain for me to, to go for it. But I was getting there, really. I was like, okay, I need to take something. And then I went to see a osteopath and then a chiropractor. And it's really after seeing the chiropractor that I kind of started considering that it might not be physical. Just because I was just doing like a, everything that I was being told to do. I'm a very good student. If you tell me that, that this is going to help, I'll do it. And it was just really getting worse. Um, rather than getting better and so I also trained trained as a yoga therapist so in terms of movements and what could be helpful for my back like I knew it all like it's just kind of, there's nothing that um, they could really teach me that I already knew and 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 actually that was getting counterproductive because my belief that it was physical made it so it maintained the pain because I really believed that the cause was physical and something was really, really wrong with my body. So that's kind of when I started like questioning things and looking for answers. 
I discovered, uh, I think I was listening to a podcast. Uh, someone mentioned a book called The Way Out from Alan Gordon. And he was talking about pain in a way that made a lot of sense to me and had this uh, study that he'd done in Boulder, Colorado, I think. They got really, really great results with uh, something that he used called pain reprocessing therapy, which is what I trained in. And I started reading the book and I was just like, oh my God, I think I might have that neuroplastic pain he's talking about. And then I started like, he's got some exercises. So if there are any listeners in pain, this is a good book. There are some like simple exercises and there's simple science as well around it to explain how pain works. So I started doing some of the exercises and I saw that basically like one of the first thing that I noticed was the, the pain and how it behaved. It, because when you want to know if something is neuroplastic, there are some indications. Um, and then some of them are the fact that the pain changes in intensity, that the pain moves around in your body, that it's sometimes there, it's sometimes not there, that the symptoms are inconsistent, and that sometimes maybe it's triggered, but there are no real cause that you can find or think of that triggers the pain being more today than yesterday and there are no real reason for that. There are like little clues like that that can give you an indication of your pain maybe not being for structural reasons. And I was just like, I was just convinced and, and then so looked for support in that way, freed myself from pain, trained in pain reprocessing therapy and because I was already supporting people one-to-one -one anyway, because as a yoga therapist, and when I say yoga therapist, just to understand it's very broad, that doesn't just mean movement, uh, that means mindfulness, uh, coaching, it might mean breath work, somatic exercises, it's not like, it's not, you're not supposed to be flexible or do you like yoga postures. In fact, most of the time when I work one-to-one, -one, there are very few or sometimes none at all it's just talking and meditation and breath work and that kind of stuff so I was already working that way so it, it's just pain reprocessing therapy kind of like you know fitted in my own practice already very well and I started supporting people with that and get like uh, seeing good results so that's kind of like how it, how it came came along but I tried like lots and lots of things before I came to the conclusion that maybe the cause is other than what I think it is. So I think you can also do a lot by yourself, but some people do like get stuck because it is not easy to learn to relate to pain differently. And there are subtleties to that. Understanding it intellectually is very important, but it's experiencing the tools is like another thing. Like the practical element is really, really important. So that's kind of how I, I discovered how my pain wasn't for, um, because of a physical issue. You're chatting a lot there about neuroplasticity and neuroplastic pain. Just to clarify, is that just pain created by the brain? And could you then give examples of sort of conditions that perhaps are neuroplastic? So neuro neuroplastic is, is really a term to say that it's, it's a combination of your nervous system probably because it's become hypervigilant, overprotective, and then your neural pathways in your brain uh, in, in conjunction together 
they can create a pain. So, for example, like you can definitely have had like a traumatic uh, physical injury. So in your back, for example, and then it healed. And then that's now become a learned neuropathway in your brain. And then when something maybe intense and emotional happens in your life, it will trigger that neural pathway automatically and use the neural pathway that they know and it will use your back because that's where you were hurt in the past so it will use that but it can just create pain in any parts of your body wherever wherever works really so and when i say neuroplastic it's usually that's when it's pain that's not caused because of a structural issue a physical issue so you don't have a cancer you don't have you haven't got anything broken um you don't have like a chronic condition that's causing you know the pain when there is like we can't really find the cause or the physical cause uh, we can't find anything then that's usually like the pain points towards neuroplasticity and the conditions that are neuroplastic are conditions like fibromyalgia, for example, chronic back pain. There's the majority is uh, neuro, neuroplastic. I've had people with migraine come, come to see me. So I'm thinking someone in particular that I saw recently who had uh, migraine for 30 years and went to see specialists and the specialist, you know, uh, after all that time, we're saying, like, you need to stop looking for an answer. Like, it's, there's nothing wrong with you. Which is kind of, like, great news and bad news because you're still in pain. It's like, but you mean there's nothing wrong with me? I've got, like, pain. So something's wrong. And then, but the cause was neoplastic and, like, she has no pain now. Always, like I said, like, always a neoplastic element to it when there's a structural issue. But the people I work with are people where it's, like, it's definitely not physical. So we, we work on that neuroplastic element. So we work on the nervous system and the unconscious part of the brain. So if you were to have then a person come to you with something like fibromyalgia, migraines, back pain, and they've had all these assessments and that sort of stuff, and they come to you and they ask you, right, what do I need to do in order to start getting or eliminating this pain or, or reducing this pain? What sort of therapeutic approach do you take with that person to help them move forward is it as simple as like talking therapy or is there like sort of activities and exercises that they have to go away and do can you give us a bit of an insight into the work that you do with with clients so that can be very different to different people but sometimes it, i can include movement in that for sure because for some people there's fear of movement because they think that they're going to exacerbate the pain. So I encourage them to move. But in a very specific way, we're not moving in order to fix the body because nothing wrong with your body. We're moving to fix the fear that you have of movement. You know, doing repetitive movement is uh, very soothing for the nervous system. It's, it's kind of it's sending a signal that everything is fine and everything is okay. And that that range of movement that you're using again and again and again is absolutely fine. So if someone has like a neck pain, for example, I can do guided practices where I ask them to move their head from left to right constantly and then just listen to me and I guide them through and then the pain disappears. So it's that, but there's also um, mindfulness techniques 
And uh, a technique that a name was coined by Alan Gordon from that book that I was mentioning before called somatic tracking. It's really like a mindfulness technique with uh, a few elements in it. So the idea is to connect to the physical sensation of your pain, which is not very easy for everyone. Connect to the physical experience of your pain and track it, meaning like allow it to be there and follow it and be curious about it. And at the same time, as you're doing that, you're also sending messages of safety through your relaxing your mind, giving a sense of relaxation and ease in your mind and in your body. And that can be done with all sorts of things. So Alan Gordon uses humor. I'm terrible at jokes, so I don't use that. Um, they always fall flat, so I'm not, I'm not using that anymore. I'm very good at, re- at relaxing people, <laughs> so that's what I use. Um, but it can be like with positive emotions and usually joy, joy and love and that kind of like those kind of like you can trigger that in, in people in a very, very beautiful way. And then so that means that people then relax within the experience of the pain while they're tracking it. And then they then we can send also use the, you know, the conscious part of your brain and use your thinking to send messages of safety because when they've learned about like pain science and we've done all the psychoeducation element, then they can send the message and just saying like, you know, there's nothing wrong with me. Every physical sensation is neutral. It's just picked up by my nervous system. And they can say that to themselves as well as being in, you know, in a relaxed state and tracking. So that's kind of a technique. It It's very kind of like simple technique, but it's quite difficult to apply so that that's kind of that's why that's when it's good to kind of be guided that really helps because it's hard to do on your own but then you learn to do it on your own i use um techniques from the internal family systems um where you connect to different parts of yourself and engage into conversations of those parts so you can get you can engage in conversation with your anxiety with your fear, with your anger, with your sadness, with your despair, but also, and most importantly, with your pain and understand the message that because the body is trying to tell you something, you need to listen. And quite often, in fact, most of the time, people get messages like they just know what they need to be doing if they really listen and that's very powerful for for a lot of people. So there's work at that level. There's also work like journaling that I can use with some people, writing exercises, kind of cognitive behavioral stuff. It depends on the person. So I can't say like, we'll definitely use that or use, not use that. For some people, it's it's very quick. For some people, it takes a little bit more time, but it it does happen as you recondition the nervous system and the brain. By focusing on doing like cognitive work, whether that is listening to your emotions better, whether that is like therapy, whether it's mindfulness, whether it's journaling, any of these activities you've mentioned, but by focusing on these things, you can actually have an impact on how you feel physically. You know, like I say, that is fascinating to me, but when you begin to understand that that's how the body works, then it should be like, well, yeah, of course, doing these things, doing these cognitive exercises, of course that's going to have a, a 
benefit on our physical health and well-being as well. I remember you saying something when you work with people and you just said like, yeah, I'm getting people to focus on the way they feel rather than the way they look. And I think like that's so like central to what I do is just because you want to change the relationship that you have to your body and the, changing the relationship means that your head is not dictating what your body should look like. It's, it's, uh, it's your head in partnership with your body creating balance within your body and that feels a certain way. Because I think like our experience as human beings is made up of like thoughts and feelings, really. And that's how we relate to those thoughts and feelings that matters. But it's really like truly, truly, really important to know what it feels like to feel balanced in your body and in your mind. And that's accessible to all of us. But we just don't know how to. Definitely. Yeah. Now, I love scientific studies i love reading the latest research and that sort of stuff now last time i met you and we were chatting you mentioned something about whiplash not existing in i can't remember which country it was but a country in europe somewhere. i think it's latvia if i remember and i was like how how is that possible but yeah could you tell us a little bit about that uh, so there's a study that points to the belief around whiplash um in latvia like whiplash it's not a thing so they don't know that you can get like chronic condition after like someone's hit you in the back of your car. So they they so they tried to do a, a, a study where um, they were putting people in in different like conditions of like whiplash to so someone getting in the back of your car, but there's no way that could cause like a physical issue or anything. It's just more like fear. And so the people who didn't believe, like, or didn't know about whiplash, that's not a thing. It doesn't exist. Like no one, we don't know of anyone who's ever had that. We don't have a name for it, if there is any. So it's kind of just didn't develop the, the pain in the neck. But the cultures where it's a thing that like, you know, there's a certain percentage of people who um, started developing the chronic element of whiplash. So it's kind of like, it's it, the study is pointing towards um, this idea of beliefs, you know, what you believe to be, to be true. And I have found that with some people, so I'm not saying, so before I explain this, I am not saying that long COVID is definitely neuroplastic. I, I don't know, it's too recent and it's too new for me to know, but, there are some people I've worked with using the pain reprocessing therapy element um, on long COVID symptoms uh, where it's worked. And so and, and the reason for that is just it's a neuroplastic element. It's just like there was a real threat. They got COVID. They got it bad. And it was it was a real threat for your nervous system. And also the people I work with like suffer from anxiety the, the the whole pandemic kind of context is anxiety provoking. I mean, it's an invisible threat and you can catch it from anyone. And then that means that the nervous system reacting, it reacted in a certain way because it believes that the threat is still around. There's also like, there's like plenty of science like this. There's like science about um, back pain, like, you know, herniated discs and uh, majority of the population by age 50 have have herniated discs so that means like 
80% of the population should have chronic back pain because of herniated disc. If you were giving um, MRI scans to doctors and just say like, which person on here has pain, they're unable to tell you that. They can't tell you just, just because of a scan. They don't know, like I can see a herniated disc. This person may or may not have pain because some people with herniated discs have pain and some people with herniated discs don't have pain. So it can't be the herniated disc that causes the pain. The understanding of the, the pain processes is changing. And, and that's very positive for a lot of people who are in chronic pain because they, 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 a lot of people <laughs> have chronic pain and, and could, with the right uh, treatment, get themselves out of pain and just, you know, um, have, a, have a life that's joyful and comfortable. Definitely. That... It's a, a great change and obviously something that could really transform a lot of people's lives in the long term. So I know we talked about this already a little bit, but just to round off the interview, I always ask the guest this question and it's, what one word would you use to describe a strong man and why? So I went for brave and I guess courage. The courage to be vulnerable, the courage to look at your emotional stuff, the courage to ask for help, the courage to talk to someone about how you're feeling, the courage to really listen to the maybe terrible story that you've been through, that you're telling yourself and the circumstances that you've been through, like just have the courage to face all of that because on the other side of that is a lot of freedom from pain and suffering in the form of like physical pain but emotional pain and all sorts of symptoms that you can you can really create um, unknowingly and unconsciously just because uh, of the circumstances in which you've grown up in. Having the courage to go there and understand that the reason you function the way you function it's because of your past history and it was probably a protective mechanism at the time. And it was the right thing to do for you to keep yourself safe. It's no longer working. So if it's no longer working, you need to go and have a look, a proper look, so that you can actually free yourself from, from it all. You can totally have, have a look in a safe way from you know all sorts of trained therapists. And, 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 and really, it's if you have the courage to do that, then on the other side is a lot of joy. I think that's a really good point and it's probably a, a sticking point for for some men. Certainly it was for me a few years ago was the whole idea of going to see a therapist because I thought, you know, that that's just really for people who are like really at their wits end or really struggle mentally. But what I've come to realise is exactly what you said, a lot of my issues and, and the way I behave sometimes comes down to my past history and what what I've done previously. The therapy is about me kind of being able to understand myself better and perhaps begin to change things about myself to improve and move towards that life of joy and happiness. Um, but yeah, I don't know what your thoughts are on that with, with men. There probably is a bit of resistance to therapy, but actually it can be such a positive tool for, for everyone. Yeah, and I, I see quite a few, few men actually. Um, so... They, they they tend to start off um with or oh, okay I just don't want to look at this part um I don't want to open up this 
part of my life. It's just I don't think that would be helpful. I want to work with what is now and all of that. I think it's just kind of, you know, at first, I mean, for me, I totally respect it because, I mean, like, if you don't feel ready, you don't feel ready. You have to feel ready for it. But I think it's it's going back to courage. It's like, have the courage to go there because it will be beneficial. And I know it's going to suck in the meantime, but it will get better afterwards. But I guess it's also the courage to break the mold and to do something different to what we've been told to do as men in society and how to deal with emotion or not deal with emotion and not look too vulnerable and sensitive because that's for women or whatever stupid message we've been sent. Have the courage to break that mold and not care about what other people think. And we can get results without having to like dig your past and you know unpack everything. Like it doesn't have to be done in that way either. But it's just like the emotional elements has to be dealt with for sure. Because it's like, and it's, it's a really good skill because then you become like super resilient. After you have the courage, that becomes resilience to me because you've learned like skills that allow you to face any situation because any situation is really thoughts and feelings. Well, thank you for jumping on the podcast today. It's and, and coming on and sharing your experience and your expertise. It's been fascinating and, and I could continue to chat to you for probably another hour or so uh, without 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 my enthusiasm dwindling so yeah I want just to take some time to, to thank you for giving up your time to come on the podcast just as we wrap things up here's your sort of little opportunity to kind of promote yourself so if people are looking to find you to learn a little bit more about you what you do or even work with you where should they go Oh, okay. So I have a website called paintherapycoaching.co.uk. So it's in one word, pain therapy coaching. Um, and on there, you'll find information about my own personal story. You'll find um, a bit more information about pain reprocessing therapy and then the different modalities that I work with. And you can contact me on there. And I offer like a free one hour consultation in order to, for us to see if we can work together, if, you know, you potentially have neuroplastic pain and, and also a chance for me to explain like how, how the work would go and how we would uh, work together. So it's paintherapycoaching.co.uk. Superb. Thanks so much once again. And uh, yeah, we'll chat to you again very soon. Well, that was quite something, wasn't it? Wasn't it? A topic that I'm sure many of us haven't really considered or thought about or known much about. And I know I said last week about how Callum was the perfect first guest. Well, we followed that up with another really top-notch interview with a really nice guy. And that lived experience is really shining through. As with Callum last week, who struggled with his with uh, an eating disorder, and this week with uh, Jean with his chronic pain and just hearing about their stories and seeing how far they've come and being able to overcome these challenges is inspiring no doubt so yeah a big thank you to Jean for coming on giving up his time I trust that you really enjoyed that interview and I would love to hear your feedback and let me know what you think of these interviews thus far I personally have really enjoyed them 
I really have. I've got a lot from them myself um, as well. So yeah, I trust that is the same for you. Okay, moving on now to the brain break. As you may or may not be aware, this is the part of the show where we are aiming to give your brain a break rather than break your brain. Because ultimately, we are covering some heavy, heavy topics on this podcast. And it's really important, in my opinion, that we follow it up with some more light-hearted banter slash chat from myself, but also from you guys. I want you guys to get in contact with me, get in touch with the show, and let me know your thoughts. Last week, we were chatting about embarrassing gym stories, and this came off the back of me decking it in the gym with a client at peak time and feeling like a bit of a fanny, to be honest. So this week on The Brain Break, I was asking you all for your contributions to share with me your most embarrassing gym stories. And I've got a few. So thanks to everyone who contributed. We're going to start with an embarrassing story that I was actually involved in. But thankfully, the embarrassment didn't occur to me. I actually made it worse for this person. And this person is my brother, Colin. So thanks, Colin, for getting in touch and sharing your story. Um, (laughs) This happened when Colin was 16 and I was 14. We basically, or he had decided he wanted to get into weights and he got himself a weights bench and some weight plates. He took the bench home and set it up enthusiastically in his room, but then decided that he was strong enough to bench press all of the weight that he had got, which I think was only about 40 kilos, but you know, when you're 16 years old, 40 kilos is quite significant. The bar went down, it didn't come back up. He was trapped under the bar and I could hear him shouting from my room. So my room was at one end of the corridor, his room was at the other. I could hear him shouting for me to come through. So through I came and I was confronted with his situation. He was literally pinned to the bench with a barbell on his chest. So as any good brother would do, I just left. I just left it. (laughs) That was a little bit cruel of me, but uh, I know that at that stage in life, he would have done the same to me. So yeah. Another one I got through Instagram, which I will will share because it's a good one. My favourite story was once I was putting a BOSU ball back. Also, can I just interject and say my favourite story? That seems to suggest that embarrassing events happen to you quite a lot in the gym. (laughs) Anyway, a man got off the bike as I was putting the ball away. He knocked into me. I fell into the wall, Bosu side first. (laughs) I bounced off the wall, then back into the man and fell on my arse. To make things worse, all of the PTs were standing laughing at me. Also, I should say, they weren't laughing at this person in a nasty way. This person was well acquainted with other PTs. That is indeed a belter. On the topic of PTs, I was chatting to one of my old PT pals from my old work and he was explaining to me that he had an embarrassing incident with T-bar rows. You have one end of the bar, so an, an empty end of the bar, up tight against a wall, like a corner of a wall, so it's not going to move anywhere, and you just load up the other side of the bar. You then stand over the bar, so it's kind of between your crotch or in line with your crotch. You then have like a V-shaped handle that you put under the bar and you row from there. PT pal decides, I'm going to do some T-bar rows. He sets it up, he stands over it, he gets a handle in place and (laughs) 
I'm not sure how he managed it, but the way he lifted the bar meant that the empty end, which is supposed to stay in place, did not stay in place. In fact, it came flying out of place, and because obviously there's the bar is weighted one side only, it tipped the bar up and smacked him in the arse, making him fall over. He also talked about how it made such a huge noise that all eyes in the gym were drawn to him. So I really hope that this gives you guys a little bit of confidence and I hope it makes you feel a bit better to know that even us PTs, we have embarrassing moments in the gym also and we try and play it off like nothing ever happened. So don't worry about it. If you have an embarrassing moment in the gym, it's fine. It's fine. You'll just think about it every night for the rest of your life until you die, but it's fine. You know, no harm done. Last, the last one comes from Mike, who sent in an, an email. And Mike says, firstly, very enjoyable second podcast and a great first guest. Like you say, could have listened to what Callum had to say for even longer. Yes, 100% agree, Mike. He was brilliant. When it comes to embarrassing gym stories, I think I might have a winner. And I only need to use one word. Aleknas. You were there... And since you could hardly speak from laughing, <laughs> you have my permission to retell the story in your own words. We've all been there, I'm sure, when it comes to doing a certain exercise, or certain movements in particular that seem to encourage a wee fart, like squats in particular or leg press. I think those are the main two that, <laughs> that come to mind. But there is another exercise that certainly encourages this. And that's Aleknas. This is where you're lying flat on your back, you've got your knees over your hips and your wrists over your shoulders. You're holding a weight plate in your hand and you can even put a weight plate across your shins as well. Once they're in position, you then have to extend your arms and your legs. So your arms go overhead, your legs go out in front of you so that your heels are a couple of inches off the floor. So at the bottom position, you're basically in a nice straight line. And then once you've done that, you then pull the weights back into that same starting position. So knees over hips, wrists over shoulders. This one time, Mike was running through a set. He got a couple reps done. It was really, really good. Then comes to rep three. And he starts to gradually lower the weight over <laughs> And extend his legs. And he gets that top position where he's fully extended. And at that point, he lets out the loudest far i think i have ever heard i think because of the, the position of your butt on the floor in that exercise it just reverberated throughout the entire building it was so loud and so much so that there's no doubt everyone around us heard it i think people were too polite to laugh about it but it was hilarious it was honestly it was a fart that could have brought the building down it was that it was that bad. From that point on, I, I took Alekna's out of Mike's training program. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Thank you very much for sharing your embarrassing gym stories. They were very, very enjoyable. But it's time to move on to consider what we're going to do for next week's Brain Break. So you guys need some time to think and get in touch. So this week, we're going to be talking about Lord of the Rings. And the reason for that is because over the weekend, myself and my partner slash soon-to-be wife, Abby, decided to watch Lord of the Rings, which I've not watched for a long time. 
I think the last time I watched it, I would have been in high school. I used to love Lord of the Rings, but nowadays, as an adult, I don't really enjoy uh, wizards and goblins and elves and what have you. Anyway, side point. Still still good films to watch, no doubt. And I may have offended a lot of people there, I recognise that, but oh well. I started getting a bit distracted because I was, I was thinking about all the characters' names. Like, Tolkien had to literally just make up names, like Bilbo and Legolas and Gandalf. I was like, where where did you get those from? Obviously, your brain, but like, what was the inspiration for them? I then challenged Abby to come up with a Lord of the Rings character name. Both a good guy, so, you know, Team Frodo, and a bad guy, like the orcs and that sort of stuff. So I came up with two. My good guy was called Henrold, and my bad guy was called Gnarg. So, yeah. There's a wee insight into how my brain works. But now it's over to you. If you had to name two characters, what would they be? Get in touch. You can do so by either contacting me on social media. You'll find me at the Wellbeing PT, Or, and preferably, send me an email. tsm at thewellbeingpt.com Thanks for sticking with me. Just to finish things off, we're going to be chatting a little bit about the Strongmen group. We'll be getting you up to speed with the very latest and giving you an opportunity to get involved to start working on both your physical and mental strength. Saturday past saw the Strongmen build, which is the monthly gym-based session. In this month's build, we were focusing on a pure gym bros session what I mean by that is it was all upper body exercises just without the string vest and the ego. We covered some new exercises that we've not yet covered, so the overhead press, some pull-ups and also PJR pullovers, as well as recapping on a couple of the big compound lifts that we've covered in the past, so your bench press and bent rows too. The guys now have the option of accessing a training program which will tide them over until next month's build session. And this training program uses a number of the exercises that we've already covered in the build session. This training program gives the guys the option to go away and continue to work on their strength and confidence in their own time whilst also building a little bit of independence away from the group. Not only did we run through these exercises, we also took a little bit of time to open up a conversation about men's mental health, as we always do in these build sessions. And this month we were chatting a little bit about loneliness. We began by reflecting a little bit personally on times in our life where loneliness has been a real issue. The guys brought a lot of insight to this conversation and shared a lot about their own experiences. I left that conversation with a challenge. I challenged the guys to really consider their relationship with themselves. Do they actually enjoy spending time with themselves? Are they friendly to themselves? Do they treat themselves in the way that they treat other people? All things considered, it was yet again another excellent event and I can't thank the guys enough for their hard work and openness. At the end of this month's session, I took some time just to very quickly ask the guys to share a little bit about their experiences with the strongmen. And I simply asked them the question, what one thing has the strongmen helped you with most? And here are their responses. Whenever I went into gym, I sort of stuck to what I know. 
Um, so the big thing the strong man and Chris particularly has helped me with is confidence to go into the gym and do some sort of strength freeweight exercises. Yeah, that's been the biggest thing for me. I would say building a, a community of um, friends in the city, as well as confidence and technique with what I'm doing when I'm working out, as opposed to just winging it or YouTubing it. Getting familiar with the gym, with free weights. I have never used free weights, I've only used machines before. Um, I've always been kind of daunted by the free weights, but it's actually, um, with Chris's experted um, guidance, it's actually quite good. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Actually quite good. But yeah, thanks very much to the guys for sharing their thoughts on the strongmen. If you'd like to get involved with the strongmen, then you can. But before I give you the details that you need to know, just a brief overview. The strongmen is an Edinburgh-based group of guys that are working on both their physical and mental strength. And we do that through monthly events. We always have a minimum of three, typically a Thrive, Lounge and Build event. Your Thrive event is a online self-development event. Lounge is a social and Build, as I've referred to already, is that gym-based event. At the moment, I would consider the Strongmen to be in a sort of developmental stage is still fairly new and therefore I'm offering what I call a beta membership and <laughs> no it's not what you think and there is not an alpha membership. Beta is just to highlight the fact that it is still in its developmental stage and I'll likely be making changes to the group as I go. Because this group is in this beta phase I'm offering a discounted rate at the moment so memberships are going for £89.99 that covers your entrance to all three events each month. Members are also added to the WhatsApp community group and will receive some Strongmen merchandise as well. But the most important thing for me to emphasize is the fact that this membership cost is going to change come August. So in August, I'm looking at setting up a tiered membership system with each tier giving you access to a certain number of features and benefits. At that stage, costs are likely to increase. However, any man who signs up before August will be considered an OG strongman and therefore will have their price frozen until 2024. So even when this new tiered membership comes in in August, their price will remain the same. If you'd like to take advantage of this and become part of a growing community of truly strongmen, then do reach out, get in contact with me and I'll send over all the details you need in order to get started. Maybe the Strongman membership isn't for you and if that's the case, that's absolutely fine. Perhaps so you would like to support this work and if that is the case, then you can do. You can donate to the Strongman podcast using the link found in the episode description. Your donations, no matter how big or small, go a really long way. Not only in terms of the running costs of both the podcast and the group more generally, but when it comes to supporting men to help them understand that there's power and vulnerability to help encourage them to step out when they're in that really dark place and ultimately prevent the early death of many men there is absolutely no pressure for you to donate at all i enjoy doing this work i feel it's really important work and i'm happy to put the time and effort into it but if that's something you feel inclined to do I very much appreciate it. If you're not in a place where you feel you can donate, I totally understand. There is something you can do for me though. All I would ask is that you please make sure to leave me a rating and a review. 
Not only will that make my day, but it'll help me reach more people. And that's all for this episode. Thank you so much for being here and being a part of this. I really do appreciate it. Until next time, take good care of yourself.